Well, I'm going to veer off from our sermon series going through the book of Ephesians uh, to talk about the blessing of a nation. I thought it'd be appropriate uh, to do so because it is literally the 4th of July. And I'm going to be looking at two texts this morning, one from Psalm, Psalm 33, and the other from Deuteronomy chapter 7. Uh, So Psalm 33, verse 12, one verse, and then Deuteronomy 7. Psalm 33, 12 tells us, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 tells us, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. This is the word of the Lord. I happen to love the 4th of July. Why do I love it so much? (laughs) Well, I love the traditions about it. I love eating barbecue on the 4th of July. I love going to the lake or swimming at the pool. I love wearing red, white, and blue, as you can see. I love participating in the annual Farragut Parade. In the last 12 to 15 years, my family has been involved in the parade because my father is a local politician, and so he usually asks us to be involved in it with him. And it's always a fun time uh, to wave the flags and to wave uh, to people who are happy and joyful to celebrate our nation's independence. But I would say the number one reason why I like the 4th of July is because of all the music that you hear on the radio or that you play at home. R-O-C-K in the USA. R-O-C-K in the USA. That's a good one, right? Or living in America. That's a great one, right? We, can't, we have to think about born in the USA. I was... Or, bye-bye, Miss American Pie. I also think about the late Miley Cyrus here. Party in the USA. But do you know what the number one song that's played on the 4th of July is? That moves me every single time it's played on the 4th? Lee Greenwood's classic, God Bless the USA. Every time I hear that song on the 4th of July... There's some pride that swells within me. And as I hear him sing, I thank my lucky stars to be living here today because the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. I just swell with pride. As I hear the song, God Bless the USA, and the song, God Bless America, a land that I love, I think about this whole idea of God blessing this nation and God blessing nations. And this morning, as we look at these two texts, I, 
I want to address three questions about this theme and this concept of God blessing a nation. First, what does it mean for God to bless a nation? Second, why does God bless nations? And third, what will make God not bless a nation? So what does it mean for God to bless a nation? Well, for God to bless a nation, it means that God will show his favor upon a nation or upon a people. It means that God's, God brings people happiness. He brings a nation peace. He bestows his gifts upon a people or a nation. And a nation is highly favored by God. A nation that is blessed by God is fortunate because they have received blessings and gifts from God. A nation blessed by God is fortunate, as I said. Now, Psalm 33 is not about America. America didn't exist when these words were written. Psalm 33, the context of it, is about the nation of Israel. It's about God's people, his chosen people. And Psalm 33 tells us, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. It's referring to God's chosen people, the Israelites. And how God blessed his people time and time and time again. And he chose this particular people group to be his own. And because he chose this people group, he blessed them immensely. And as you think about how he blessed them, just read through the Old Testament. And you will see time and time again of how God favored this particular people. I read Deuteronomy 7 because it really gives us the context of Psalm 33. In that, God chose a particular people and he brought them out of the land of slavery from Egypt. And he, and he brought about great miracles. Plagues that he sent upon Egypt and the nation of Egypt. But yet, he left his people unharmed and untouched. And he delivered them from Egypt. And where did he bring them to? He brought them into Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. A land of peace and great prosperity. God richly blessed his people and he led them to a great land. In the same way, I believe that God has richly blessed America. When you look back in our nation's foundation and the founding fathers, you will find that most of them love Jesus. Even rewind before them, our pilgrims and Puritans, they came to this land to worship God freely. They overall were God's chosen people. And God blessed them. Think about America since then. We represent roughly 2 to 3% of the world's population. And yet we have 25% of the GDP. God has blessed this nation economically. People are free to start a business and fail or succeed. They're free to own their personal property. They're free to vote on their leaders. Did you know that America was the first nation that had freedom of religion? Now, other nations have risen to religious tolerance, but America was the first to grant full religious freedom. The first nation in the history of our planet. America did that. God has blessed this nation as he blessed 
the nation of Israel. So the second question I ask is, well, why does God bless certain nations and not others? Well, there's really two reasons why God blesses some nations and not others. The first reason is that simply he chooses to do so. He loves his people and he chooses to not only love his people, but but to bless his people and to show them favor. The second reason is because God's people remain faithful to him. That's why God blesses nations. He chooses to do so and God's people remain faithful to him. Now, God, we know, is a sovereign God, and he chooses his people, and he chooses to show favor on some nations and not on others. Psalm 33 is pretty clear on that. It says, the people he chose for his inheritance are blessed. The people whom he has chosen are his heritage. Deuteronomy 7 unpacks this a little more by describing who these people were. It says, it was not because you, Israelites, were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What, what Moses wrote here in these words in Deuteronomy was he was reminding the people of God that God chose them not because of anything they did, not because they did anything special, but he chose them because he loved them. And he made a promise that he was going to keep, a promise that he would have a certain people group and he would lead this people group into a promised land. Our sovereign God, he blesses nations because he chooses to bless nations. And he just so happened to choose to bless the nation of Israel. And think about all the things he did. Not only did he deliver them from Egypt, but he also, he fought their battles. And he delivered them from the enemy time and time and time again. Now, as I think about America, I think about how God orchestrated so many things so that we could be here today, worshiping in this building freely. Not only did he bring the pilgrims and Puritans here, and many of them made it safely and were able to establish this land as their land, but our founding fathers had tremendous faith in Jesus. And because they revered and honored God, God blessed them abundantly. And God orchestrated events so that he would protect his people in that, in that time. George Washington was known as a strong believer in Jesus. And I heard this week, you may not have ever known this about him, but he was, it was told that he would get up and for an hour in the morning he would pray and read, and read the Bible. And then before he would go to bed, he would pray and read his Bible for an hour. So two hours a day, this man prayed and read the word of God. And this man was extremely busy because he was a general. In his 20s, in his late 20s, it was in 1755, and it was outside of Pittsburgh, he was fighting a battle in the French and Indian War, and he was on the banks of a river outside of Pittsburgh. Well, just three or four paces away was an Indian who came out from hiding, and he shot at Washington, and he missed him. 
just three or four paces away. He missed him. Now, in that same battle, there was another Indian who shot at Washington 15 times, and he missed him. Washington's horse in that same battle was shot under him twice. He had two different horses shot from under him. He ended up even having four bullet holes through his coat, shot through his coat. But yet, Washington was unharmed. After this battle, he wrote a letter to his brother and he said, Death was leveling my companions on every side of me. But by the all-powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected. He is called the bulletproof George Washington for a reason. But yet Washington knew it was this invisible hand, the providential hand of God who protected him that day in battle. Fast forward about 20 years later in 1776, Washington is fighting yet again another battle, the battle for our independence. And he was in the Brooklyn Heights area fighting a British army and his soldiers were surrounded by an army of Brits on land while they were laying offshore. And Washington had no way to escape. Well, he was consulting with his officials and his officers and they said, we're sitting ducks here. And Washington said, well, let's at least try to get in the rowboat and, 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 and get, get away secretly in the middle of the night. Maybe they won't see us. And his officers all said, there's no way. We're sitting ducks in that water. Do not go in the water. But Washington said, we've got to do it because otherwise they're going to come here and they're going to kill us. Well, as Washington rallied his troops and they all got on, into the rowboats and began to row down the river in the middle of the night, Guess what happened? A fog came about, covering the entire river, and the British army could not see a thing. Washington and his men left untouched, unharmed. They escaped and later ended up winning the battle, winning the war. You know what's even more amazing about that story? There was a woman in Brooklyn who was a British sympathizer, and she discovered Washington's plan, and she hastily sent one of her servants to go and reveal it and to tell the British army about what he was planning to do. But by the providence of God, this servant, he ended up running to the British army, and he runs into a Hessian group of people. The Hessians were German mercenaries hired by the British, and they could not understand one word of English. So this servant was going to reveal Washington's plan to the British army. They run into these German mercenaries. And the Germans are saying, we don't understand English. We have no idea what you're saying. And they said, okay, just wait. Wait until the morning and we'll bring in somebody from, uh, from the British army. And they'll translate. Well, it was too late. Because Washington and his troops were able to escape. God's providential hand was on Washington and his soldiers that day. But not only do we know that George Washington had great faith in the Lord, we know that out of the 250 founding fathers, over 80% of them were Christians. 
over 80% of 250 founding fathers were Christians. Some even say 245 of them were Christians. John Adams said this, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Now I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. John Adams, strong believer in Jesus Christ. Charles Carroll, you may have never heard of him, but he was a signer of the Declaration. He wrote, without morals, a republic cannot subsist any length of time. They, therefore, who are decrying the Christian religion are undermining the solid foundation of morals, the best security for the duration of free governments. Charles Carroll realized that it was Christianity that helped find this nation. There was a contemporary study that was done that took 10 years that analyzed 15,000 documents written by our founders. 15,000 documents. And in their study, there were 3,000 direct quotes in it. And out of those 3,000 direct quotes in those documents, they wanted to find out who these founders were reading. 8% of those 3,000 direct quotes were from Montesquieu. 8% were from Blackstone. 3% were from John Locke. Do you know what the overwhelming source that the founders quoted was? The Bible. 34% of those direct quotes came right out of the Bible. 34%. And the majority came from the book of Deuteronomy, which I'm preaching from today. Patrick Henry, he said, the Bible is a book worth more than all the other books that were ever printed. John Quincy Adams said, no book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. God has blessed this nation because it was founded on Christian principles And overwhelmingly by Christian leaders. And since that time, we've seen God bless our nation throughout our history. Think about all the great awakenings, the first and the second great awakening that took place. Think about all the revivals. Think about all the hospitals and all the nonprofits that have been started by Christians. Think about the world mission movement that came out of America. God has richly blessed this nation because he has chosen to bless this nation because many of the people in this nation are his. But the second reason why God blesses nation is is not just because he chooses to do so, but also because his people remain faithful to him. Psalm 33, 12 again, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. A nation will be blessed when we revere, when we acknowledge, when we affirm that God is Lord of all, that God is sovereign over all. And when a nation, when a people acknowledge that truth, God will shower us with gifts. 
He will bring peace on this land. He will make us happy. He will make us joyful and content if we remain faithful to him. Think about all the times when you read through the Old Testament how the Israelite people were faithful to God. Now, the majority of time, they weren't faithful. But oftentimes, when they realized they weren't faithful, what did they do? They repented of their sins. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes they would repent and they would offer sacrifices before the Lord. And just the details of of, of moving the tabernacle from place to place. I, I just can't imagine doing that every single day as a Levite priest. If I were a Levite priest, that would be exhausting. But they did it because they wanted to honor and revere God. They loved the Lord. In the same way, think about not only our founding fathers, but think about the documents of our nation. Think about the monuments of our nation. Think about things that we often say about our nation. For example, all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. You see how we mention creator, how we mention God? Think about the back of your dollar bill. What does it say? In God we trust. Think about the pledge. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. Think about when someone goes before the witness stand on trial. What do they have to do? Put their hand on a Bible and they have to say, I solemnly swear before God and these witnesses that I will tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Think about all the holidays that we have acknowledged regarding God. Christmas, Easter. Think about how we still at least in Nayland Stadium, pray before football games. Think about how we have chaplains for prisons and hospitals and military and how those chaplains pray before important events. We have been a nation that has been under God. We've seen it in documents. We've seen it with founding fathers. We've also seen it with Other presidents throughout history, other presidents other than just our founders have acknowledged God. Presidents like Andrew Jackson, Zachary Taylor, Abraham Lincoln, FDR, Woodrow Wilson, LBJ, and Truman have all acknowledged God. Herbert Hoover once said, American life is built and can alone survive upon the fundamental philosophy announced by the Savior 19 centuries ago. Not only have presidents acknowledged that we are a nation under God, but the Supreme Court over time has acknowledged that we are a nation under God. In, 19, or in 1844, there was a unanimous decision by the U.S. Supreme Court that said, Christianity is not to be maliciously and openly reviled and blasphemed against to the annoyance of believers or the injury of the public. Listen to these words from the Supreme Court. Such a case is not to be presumed to exist in a Christian nation. 1844. In 1856, not only did you have the Supreme Court acknowledge that we are a nation under God, but also our House of Representatives openly acknowledged this statement or this fact. It said, the great vital and conservative element in our system is the belief of our people in the pure doctrines and divine truths 
of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, U.S. House of Representatives. We also know that every single state constitution has a reference about God in it. And not only has every state constitution had a reference, but every state is entitled to having two statues in the U.S. Capitol about any figure that they want to represent their state. Many of, their statue, many of the statues in the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol are pastors from different states. Pastors like Roger Sherman of Connecticut and Jason Lee of Oregon. Now, I know that we are not simply a Christian nation. And I would not say that we are a Christian nation. But what I would say is that God has blessed our nation immensely because we have recognized and honored him. And we have revered him. God has blessed this nation because we have recognized him. Later in Psalm 33, the psalmist says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Deuteronomy 7, 9 continued by saying, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. What Moses was instructing the people of Israel to do was he was saying, if you want God to continue to bless you as a people and as a nation, you have to know that he is Lord, that he is your God and he is God over all, and you have to remain faithful to him. And if you remain faithful to him, he will bless you for generations to come. If we in America remain faithful to God, he will bless us for generations to come. I have four little kids. I pray for them all the time, and I, I worry for them all the time about their future. Many of you have grandkids. You're, you're worrying more than I am. We want well for our kids and grandkids. And what we have to do to set it up well for them, for God to bless them as they get older and become our age, we must continue to acknowledge God and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. If we do those things, God will continue to bless us for generations to come, just as he did his people in the Old Testament. So I end with this third question. What will make God stop blessing a nation? Psalm 917 is crystal clear. I want you to get this. The wicked return to the grave, all the nations that forget God. One translation reads, the wicked will go to hell when they forget God. If we forget God, what will happen to us? Destruction. Hell. Death. The grave. That's what will happen when we forget God. And I want to go back to Deuteronomy 7 when it refers to God's people what happened when God's people forgot him. God repays to their face those who hate him, listen to these words, by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You can't get more descriptive than that. 
And then Moses said, you shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Be careful to remember God, to obey God, to follow his commandments, to love him, to worship him, to honor him. Because if you don't, he will not be slack with you and he will repay you to your face. Whoa, is that judgment or what? Jeremy Denton Jr. was an American pilot, and he was captured in Vietnam in 1965. He was captured, and he served his country in isolation, and he was tortured at the Hanoi Hilton for almost eight years. He was cut off from the rest of the world in complete isolation. And finally, in 1973, he's released And he comes back to his home in America. By the time he left America in 1965 to the time he returned in 1973, he was shocked at what he saw. He realized how much this nation had changed. He realized that abortion had become legal. And millions of babies were aborted. He saw that pornography had been opened up and sold into stores. He realized that many marriages had led to divorce. He even began to see the gay movement emerge. You know, it's interesting. In 1965, the Academy Award-winning movie was The Sound of Music. Do you know what it was in 1973? Midnight Cowboy. The first X-rated movie to win such a prize. When Jeremy Benton came back to the States eight years later from being in isolation, this is what he said. When I came home and was driven from Norfolk to the hospital at Portsmouth and saw all the signs, X-rated movies, massage parlors, these dumpy-looking places... I asked my wife, what are those? And then saw the magazines on the magazine racks in the Naval Hospital. I was shocked. I couldn't believe that my country, a country which has succeeded in getting one nation under God placed back in the pledge, had gotten to this place. That was 1973. Fast forward to 2021, where are we? Things haven't gotten much better. In fact, I'd say they've gotten worse. Why have they gotten worse? Because our nation is forgetting God. Our nation is no longer following his commands. We're no longer longer honoring him. And the further and further we drift from God's word and the further and further we drift from him, what will happen? Psalm 9 tells us clearly will be destroyed. I don't want that for us. And I know you don't either. So what does God call us to do in these times in our nation's history? We humble ourselves before him. We pray to him earnestly, saying, God, please bless this nation. Continue to bless this nation. We seek Jesus and his face. 
and we turn from our wicked ways. And as we do those things, God will hear our prayers. He will forgive our sins and he will heal our land. He will continue to shower us with blessings and show us his favor. My friends, let's strive to be people who are uncompromising in truth, unwavering in love, and people who are one nation under God.